And with that, I need you to have your Bibles in hand as we continue our study of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. I hope you've been as blessed by this study as I have. You may have heard the story before of the cookie thief. It's a good one. The cookie thief goes like this. There was a certain lady that went to the airport one day. She arrived and got checked in and was there in the terminal before her flight was scheduled to leave. And so she had some time to kill. And so she went into the nearby convenience store there in the terminal and she bought herself a nice bag of bite-sized chocolate chip cookies. She went back to her seat in the terminal. She still had some more time before her flight was boarding. So she sat down, reached into her bag, and pulled out a book that she had brought to read. So she's reading her book, and after a few minutes, she reaches next to her on the armrest into her bag of cookies, and she pulls out a chocolate chip cookie, pops it in her mouth, and enjoys that wonderful savory bite. Out of the corner of her eye, she notices the guy sitting next to her reaching into her bag of cookies and grabbing one for himself. He pops it in his mouth as if nothing happened. Well, she gets a little upset. She's thinking to herself, what the heck? This guy is a dirty, rotten thief, but she doesn't say anything. A few minutes pass. She's still reading her book. She reaches over, grabs another cookie, pops it in her mouth. And she notices once again out of the corner of her eye, this guy does the exact same thing. He reaches into the bag, grabs a cookie for himself. Now she's getting a little more upset. Over the next 10 minutes, this happens over and over again. She grabs a cookie, he grabs a cookie. She grabs a cookie, he grabs a cookie. She is getting just furious with this guy. Finally, he reaches into the bag. There's only one cookie left. And so for the first time, he looks over at her and makes eye contact with her. And she gives him the dirtiest look she can. The guy has the nerve to take that last cookie, break it in half, and hand her half the cookie. Well, she snatches it out of his hand, throws it in her mouth, grabs her bag, and storms off to her plane. About 10 minutes later, she's sitting on the plane. She buckles her seatbelt, and she reaches into her bag to grab her book again, and she feels something that doesn't belong there. She pulls it out, and she can't believe what she sees. It is her unopened bag of chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And she just can't believe what she had done. She thought that guy was the dirty, rotten thief in the terminal. It turns out she was the dirty, rotten thief. She'd been eating his cookies all along. And the nice fella didn't even call her on it. Wow. That reminds us sometimes that we are quick to jump to conclusions about someone. Sometimes we're quick to judge others before we know the entire story. And that's kind of what Jesus is going to touch on today in Matthew 7. I'm calling today's message, Plank Eye Disease. So once again, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. I encourage you to be there in your own Bibles so you can see it for yourself. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. May God bless us as we study and apply his word to our lives today. 
Well, Matthew 7 begins with the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Matthew 7, verse 1, is quoted more than the 23rd Psalm. It's quoted more than John 3.16. This is a verse that's quoted by Christians. It's quoted by Jews. It's quoted by Muslims. It's even quoted by atheists. The most quoted verse in the Bible, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Or as it says in the old King James Version, judge not lest ye be judged. This verse is quoted probably thousands of times every single day. But the truth is, most of the time that this verse is quoted, it's actually misquoted. It's actually misquoted. Because here's how most people read this passage. They read it like this. (laughs) Would you agree? This is how most people read Matthew 7. Judge not Highlight it in red, cross out everything that comes after it. This is how most people interpret Matthew chapter 7. That's all they're fixated on. Those two words, judge not. And we as Christians can't interpret scripture this way, can we? As followers of Christ, we have to take into consideration a little something called context. Jesus calls you and me as followers of Christ to look at the entire passage, verses 1 through 5, and not ignore what we've been learning in the prior two chapters, those first two chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. This verse did not just parachute down in Matthew 7 out of heaven and accidentally fall here. It is to be interpreted and understood in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. The bottom line is this. This verse doesn't say what most people think that it says. And if we live our lives based on a false understanding of this verse, it could really damage our faith in Christ and it could have a damaging effect on our impact in this world for Christ. And so we're going to spend some time this morning taking a closer look at these first five verses and see what Jesus has to teach us about judging others and judging the situations around us. So let's start by taking a look at what Jesus doesn't say here in Matthew 7, verse 1. Number one, Jesus doesn't say, don't judge me. How often do we hear people say that? Don't judge me. That's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? People, when they say don't judge me, they think they're accurately quoting scripture. They think they're accurately quoting what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, 1. And that's not what he's saying at all. You see, Jesus isn't speaking to non-Christians and saying, don't judge me. Jesus is actually speaking to his followers and saying, don't judge others. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not giving you this verse as ammo to wave your finger at someone and say, don't judge me. He's giving it to you to simply say to you as his follower, don't judge others. I really like what John Bloom, the co-founder of Desiring God Ministries, has to say about this reality of this verse. He writes, Jesus is not telling others not to judge us. He's telling us not to judge others. What others do is not our primary concern. What we do is our primary concern. Our biggest problem is not how others judge us, but how we judge others. Isn't that true? Uh, Many of you know uh, Glenn Ayler. 
uh, one of our long-term, long-time church members here at Impact that just a couple years ago moved to Montana. Uh, Glenn Ayler is kind of known for some of his sage fatherly wisdom. And when his kids were teenagers, at times they would come home from school and they were so upset and so worried because they knew the kids at school were saying stuff about them behind their backs. And they were really worried about kids talking trash about them behind their backs. And so Glenn would consistently give his kids this sage advice. It went like this. What other people think of you is none of your business. (laughs) Isn't that good? What other people think of you is none of your business. When I first heard Glenn say this, I'm like, what the heck? You know, I don't understand what he means here. And then I started to think about those words and I got to thinking, you know what? He's right. What other people think of you is none of your business. That's pretty deep. Jesus, in essence, is telling us followers of Christ You have no control over others judging you, but you do have control over you judging others. Jesus never intended this verse to be a a big stick that we use to beat people, people over the head with. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's not what this verse is intended for. Jesus didn't give us this verse to call others out for judging me. He gave this verse to call me out for judging others. And so the first reality you need to understand is Jesus is not saying in this verse, don't judge me. The second thing we need to understand, Jesus isn't saying all judging is bad. He's not saying all judging is bad. This word judge here in Matthew 7, 1 isn't the evil word that many people have made it out to be. To judge simply means to separate, to select, and to choose. That's what judge means, to separate, select, and choose. And this might surprise you. At times, Jesus actually commands us to judge others. It's true. At times, he tells us you need to judge others. For instance, go a few verses down here in Matthew 7 to verses 15 and 16. Notice what Jesus says. In verses 15 and 16, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, let me ask you, how are we supposed to identify false prophets? How are we supposed to identify wolves in sheep's clothing? How are we supposed to identify if some individuals are peddling lies or if they're speaking the truth? Well, we separate, we select, and we choose. Over the past 2,000 years, many churches uh, would have been uh, swallowed up by false teaching and sin if Christians had been afraid to discriminate between truth and error. Many churches would have failed to expand the kingdom of heaven if they had been afraid of false teachers calling them judgmental. Thank God that those who went before us were willing to take a stand for truth and not be afraid of being called names like judgmental. Not too long ago, there was a gathering of some Bible college professors and one teacher decided to open up about something that had been heavy on his heart. He reported that at his school, the most damaging charge one student could lodge against another is that that student was being judgmental. The professor found this pattern very upsetting, and he said to the other teachers at that little conference, he said, you can't get a good argument going in class anymore. 
As soon as somebody takes a stand on any important issue, someone else says that person is being judgmental. And that's it. End of discussion. Everyone is intimidated. Well, there seemed to be a consensus among the professors that that professor's experience was pretty typical of how students were in this day and age. Many Christians, even in a Christian school, are paralyzed by the idea of someone calling them judgmental. They're unwilling to stand and speak the truth because they don't want anyone to accuse them of being judgy. No young student wants to be called judgy. Well, here's one more example of Jesus commanding us to judge others. If you were to flip over to Matthew 18, verses 15 and 16, you'd read these verses. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And we say, well, wait a minute. Isn't it judgmental to point out someone's fault? And the answer is, yes, it is. It is judgmental to point out someone's fault. And Jesus tells us to do it. In fact, he commands us to do it. So let's cut to the chase. Is Jesus saying that we should judge others or that we shouldn't judge others? And the answer is yes. Any questions? Uh, Yeah, Pastor, just one question. Huh? (laughs) That's a pretty good question. Is Jesus calling us to judge others? Yes, he is. Is Jesus calling us not to judge others? Yes, he is. I think... uh, you need to understand that there's a certain thing called bad judging and there's a certain thing called good judging. And so Jesus says yes on the good judging and no on the bad judging. Well, that's as clear as mud, isn't it? Well, let me clarify by sharing a wonderful little quote from Pastor Ray Fowler. He explains it this way. When Jesus says, do not judge, he does not prohibit making moral judgments. We must all make decisions concerning what is right and what is wrong. So Jesus in this verse does not prohibit us from making moral judgments. We must discern right from wrong. We must teach God's commandments. We must proclaim the truth. Pretty well said, isn't it? We have to proclaim the truth. We have to be able to share the truth. Uh, Some people who say do not judge are actually judging themselves. Think about it. When we make a moral judgment that a certain action is wrong, we're also, when someone challenges us and says, hey, you know, that, that's, that's uh, judgmental to say that's morally wrong, are they not also making a judgment that something is morally right that I'm calling morally wrong? And so people don't even realize that discrepancy there. When we call out people for being judgmental, we ourselves are being judgmental. It's a good point. Ray Fowler goes on to say this, when Jesus says, do not judge, he does not prohibit making moral judgments. We must all make decisions concerning what is right and what is wrong. So Jesus in this verse does not prohibit us from making moral judgments. We must discern right from wrong. We must teach God's commandments. We must proclaim the truth. That's really well said. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ have been called by God to expand the kingdom of heaven in our little corner of the world. We've been talking about that a lot in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. 
We are called by God to bring kindness and compassion and mercy and grace and unconditional love and most importantly, bring the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation to our little corner of the world. And we cannot do that effectively unless we make moral judgments. Unless we're able to discern between right and wrong, unless we're able to teach God's commandments and proclaim the truth. So let me be clear. Are we as followers of Christ supposed to call sin, sin? And the biblical answer is yes, absolutely. Are we supposed to judge others' actions as wrong if the Bible says they're wrong? Yes, we are. Are we supposed to tell people that if they reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then they're going to spend eternity in hell? Yes, we are. That's the truth. We need to share that. We need to share it in a loving way. Don't yell in people's face, turn or burn. But yes, we do share the truth, don't we? We take a stand for the truth and we share the truth. These are all part of good judging. And we're all supposed to do it. In fact, we have to do it if we're going to build the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's talk for a few minutes about bad judging which is really Jesus' main focus here in Matthew 7. Let's make sure we understand what kind of judging is completely out of line for a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, if you carefully read and meditate on the first five verses here in Matthew 7, you'll see this. Jesus wasn't forbidding all kinds of judging. He was forbidding selfish, hypocritical judging. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day had a bad habit of judging in the bad kind of way. They had a bad habit of pointing out everyone else's sins while ignoring their own sins. They condemned the evil they witnessed in others while completely ignoring the greater evil that existed in their own hearts every single day. And so once again, John Bloom says it really, really well. He says this, It's not wrong to lovingly help our brother remove a harmful speck from his eye. But it is wrong to self-righteously point out a speck in our brother's eye when we ignore, as no big deal, the ridiculous log protruding from our own eye. It's pretty well said, isn't it? He goes on to say, So Jesus is placing a neon red blinking sign over others that tells us, Caution, judge at your own risk. So, Before I move on to the rest of that quote, imagine what he's saying here. Picture what he's saying. Jesus, when he says, do not judge, is telling you when you identify something wrong in someone else, whether it's your spouse, your child, whether it's a neighbor, whoever, when you identify something wrong or sinful, you need to imagine over their heads this neon sign saying, proceed with caution if you intend to judge this person. First, make sure you're looking in the mirror and looking at the plank in your own eye. He goes on to say, It is meant to give us serious pause and examine ourselves before saying anything. We're quick to strain gnats and swallow camels, according to Matthew 23. Quick to take tweezers to another's eye when we need a forklift for our own. It is better to judge not than to judge like this. I think that's really well said. So if you've got some sin in your own life that you haven't dealt with yet, you know what? You're not the person to pull specks out of the other person's eye. You first get that forklift out and deal with your own big sin, and then and only then will you be at a place where you can help deal with your brother or sister's sin. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ have to make sure 
that we are not pulling out specks of dust and ignoring the planks in our own eye. Now, when Jesus was talking about planks in your eye here, Jesus was saying something that was really, really funny in his day. You know, imagine Jesus, he's sitting on that boulder there, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, there's hundreds and even thousands of people probably listening to his every word, they're hanging on his every word, and he's trying to drive home this point about hypocritical judging. And I imagine he glanced over and saw a plank on the ground. And so Jesus says, you know what, this is a perfect illustration. And so Jesus grabs the plank and he picks it up and here he is. He's sticking in his eye and all these people are ducking, they're, they're running for cover because Jesus is talking and he's swinging this plank around as he's saying, hey, I, I see you brother, I see you got a, a speck of sawdust in your eye, let me help you with that, let me help you with that. And so people next to him, they're ducking, they're running for cover because he's got this plank swinging back and forth. And you can imagine the crowd was busting up. They thought this was the funniest thing any rabbi had ever said. This plank is coming out, and this plank I have right here, this is small possibly compared to what Jesus had because this word he uses, plank here, was the word that was used for the main mast in a ship. It was also the main beam used to support an entire roof of a house. And so sometimes these beams were 30 feet long in Jesus' day. So imagine him swinging this thing back and forth. The people are busting up. And you better believe that they got Jesus' point. Don't be picking sawdust pieces out of your brother's eye until you take care of the plank in your own eye. Notice that Jesus has no problem with you or me helping someone identify and remove a splinter from their eye as long as you first take care of the plank in your own eye. Translation, you and I have no business pointing out others' tiny faults until we've dealt with our own big ones. Let that sink in. We have no business helping others deal with their tiny faults until we have dealt with our own big ones. Here in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is condemning a critical fault-finding spirit. Some people spend so much time criticizing others without ever looking in the mirror to see their own faults. Some of us are are so good at pointing out others' sins without ever admitting that some of the stuff we do is even worse than the stuff we're criticizing in others. And Jesus looks at us and says, don't be like that. Don't be like the Pharisees. Never take part in hypocritical judging. Well, I think there's several lessons that we can pull from this great start to Matthew chapter 7, these first five verses. And I want to share with you four quick lessons. We could find more in here, but I'll just give you four today. One of the key lessons we learn, I'll call it lesson number one, is that you and I need to spend less time pointing out each other's sins and more time correcting our own sins. Can I get an amen to that? We need to spend less time pointing out each other's sins and more time dealing and correcting our own sins. Here in these first five verses of Matthew 7, Jesus clearly tells us to take care of first things first. When it comes to dealing with sin, my first priority is to deal with my own sin. Your first priority is to deal with your own sin. Only then can we be in a place where we can effectively help others with their sin. Make no mistake about it. Yes, we are to help others with their sin, but we must deal with our own first. And when you do help others with their sin, I believe Jesus gives us at least three other lessons in this passage. I'll call this lesson number two. You're not the judge, right? 
You're not the judge. Notice what Jesus says in verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. So who is going to judge us? Well, he's referring obviously to God. God is the judge. He's the ultimate judge. He alone will one day judge the living and the dead and pronounce a final eternal judgment on every person. So when you go to point out someone's fault or sin, make sure that you don't forget who the real judge is. It's God. That's one of the reasons why it's always best when you go to a brother or sister in Christ and point out a sin, when you're identifying that speck of sawdust, have a chapter and verse in mind that you can share with them. That way, it's not you doing the judging, it's God's word. It's not just you saying, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong, I think what you're doing is evil. You're allowing God's word to speak into their life. If that Christian gets mad at you, they're really just getting mad at God's word because you've shared it with them plainly in black and white. Evangelist Billy Graham, I think, said it really well. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and it's my job to love. Isn't that true? That's a a great little quote to memorize. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, and it's my job to love. That was ultimately one of the biggest problems with the Jewish leaders judging in Jesus' day. They didn't judge in love for the good of others. Instead, they judged selfishly for the good of themselves. And that brings us to lesson number three. God will judge you the same way you judge others. We find that in verse 2. Jesus makes this point clearly in verse 2. If you choose to judge your family and friends harshly, guess what? God is going to judge you harshly. If you decide to be critical of others, God is going to be critical of you. If you choose to extend very little grace to others around you when they mess up, God will extend very little grace to you when you mess up. So with that in mind, what's the smartest thing that you and I can do? Well, we need to cut people around us a whole lot of slack, don't we? We need to extend a whole lot of grace to people around us who mess up. You need to give people the benefit of the doubt. You you can't rush to judgment because you don't know what that person is going through who's messed up or how hard their struggles have been for them. I came across these little insights from William Barclay as I was preparing for this message, and this really got my cranks turning, and maybe it'll do the same for you. William Barclay writes, The fact is that if we realized how what some people have to go through So far from condemning them, we would be amazed that they have succeeded in being as good as they are. Isn't that right? In one set of circumstances, a person may be unlovely and graceless. In another, that same person may be a tower of strength and beauty. He goes on to say, people may seem unlovely simply because we do not know the whole person. Everyone has something good in him or her. Our task is not to condemn and to judge by the superficial unloveliness, but to look for the underlying beauty. That is what we would have others do to us, and that is what we must do to them. Wow. I loved that. I underlined it in my notes, those two words, underlying beauty. We must look for the underlying beauty in others. That's some great food for thought. I want you to think about one person. Just one. Don't think of ten. Just think of one person right now who really gets on your nerves. Someone who really drives you up the wall. Are you thinking of somebody? Okay. Please do this with me. Think of at least one person. Okay. Now that you're thinking of that person, 
Let's feed our thoughts through these insights from Barclay that I just read. That person you're thinking about might be annoying, but considering what he has been through in his life, it's amazing that he isn't more annoying, right? <laughs> that, that lady you're thinking of, considering all that she's been through in her life, it's a miracle that she doesn't drive you up the wall even further. You know some things about that annoying person that are pretty ugly. But in many ways, he or she is a tower of strength and beauty. That person has some good in them. They, they have some good qualities. Uh, she has some unloveliness on the outside, but she has some underlying beauty. Uh, he has some things on the outside that you might find repulsive. But he has some underlying beauty. He has some good qualities. So lesson number four goes like this. God has called you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be kind and look for the underlying beauty in others. I believe we can find that in verse 5 where Jesus makes it clear we get rid of the plank in our own eye and then we help our brother or sister deal with the speck of sawdust in their own eye. Once again, Jesus doesn't say, don't ever deal with that sawdust in your brother's eye. Yes, I want you to deal with it, but first things first, deal with your own plank. And once we do, we lovingly and kindly and compassionately help others follow Jesus Christ even better. For far too long, Christians have come across as critical and uncaring. We have been quick to point out others' ugly sin while being very slow to point out others' beauty. We've been afraid to say things like this. There is beauty in every Mormon. We've been afraid to say Muslims have some beautiful qualities. We've been afraid to point out that atheists and agnostics have some wonderful beauty inside of them. And they do some beautiful things. Uh, We're a little uneasy about saying that a three-strike felon on death row has some wonderful, beautiful qualities inside of them. But it's true because God has planted beauty in each and every person. There was an international Christian camp going on several years back. And it was filled with teenagers and young adults that represented their countries at this Christian camp. And so there was a conversation going on between some girls one evening, and the girls were sharing what they did back in their home countries to lead people to Christ. And so the girls were talking back and forth, but there was this one girl off to the side that hadn't said anything yet. And so they turned to her. She was from an African country. And they turned to her and asked her, Maria, how do you share Christ with people in your home country? And what she said was completely unexpected. She said, well, in my home country, we we don't hand out evangelistic tracts and we don't have missions. Instead, we choose one or two Christian families and ask them to move into a town where they will live and work. And as those Christians live and work in that town, people will see what they're like. And you know what? What happens is... People see what Christians are like and they decide they want to be like them and want to become Christians too. Isn't that beautiful? They see what Christians are like and they want to be Christians too. Let me ask you, do the people around you see how you live and how you work and how you love and want to be Christians too? That's an important question for us to ask. 
Do they want to be Christians too? If you are serious about bringing heaven to your little corner of the world, we have to do what Jesus teaches us here to do. We have to take care of those planks in our own eyes. We have to deal with these beams. We have to deal with the beams in our hearts. We have to deal with the beams in our minds, the beams with our temper, the beams uh, that we deal with with our actions and our priorities and the way we interact with others. We have to deal with the beams of sin in our life. But then we have to also make sure that we are looking for the beauty in others, that we are being kind and compassionate and full of mercy and full of grace And as we show the greatest things of heaven to the people around us, whether it's our family, our friends, our neighbors, or our co-workers, as we share some of the greatest, most beautiful things of heaven with those around us, and we identify the beauty in others, even that next-door neighbor who's an atheist, as we identify the beauty in them and we gravitate to that and we call that out and celebrate that in that person, You better believe that more non-Christians will be attracted by honey than they will be by vinegar. You better believe that people will want to look at the lives that we live and what we represent and the joy and the grace and the mercy and the unconditional love that we share. And they'll say, much like those villagers in that African country, I want to become a Christian too. Who knows? If Jesus is able to work through us, to live out what he teaches us here in these opening verses of Matthew 7. I believe you'll see many of your family members and friends come to Christ. And who knows, maybe you'll see all of them come to Christ because of that beautiful, loving witness that you present to them each and every day. They may not be willing to hear the gospel, but you better believe they can see the gospel in you as you live it out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this wonderful challenge. Help us to live for you. Help us to love for you. Help us to extend grace for you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be quick to point out others' faults when we haven't dealt with our own faults. That we wouldn't be quick to identify others' sins when we haven't dealt with our own sins. Lord, I pray that we would humbly come to you and allow you to do a a work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then as we do, Lord, help us to identify the beauty in others. Help us to share kindness and mercy and love and grace to those around us. And Lord, I pray that as we do, they would hunger for you and they would say, what must I do to be saved? Lord, help us to be a blessing to those around us. Help us, O God, not to be nitpicking, hypocritical, uh, condemning Christians. Help us to be loving Christians, O God, who understand well that it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are today. You've been so good to us. Help us to be messengers of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a blessing to, to be in service with you today. If you need prayer today, Or if you've decided to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is a great Sunday to make that decision. If you have never made a decision to accept Christ, I just want to share with you quickly the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow him today as your Savior 
and as the Lord of your life. If you've made that decision, reach out by phone or text to one of our prayer counselors. Their names and numbers are at the bottom of the screen. Please reach out to them. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you need to be baptized, we'd love to set up a time for you to get baptized as well. And uh, as we close off this service, uh, we are going to give you an opportunity, those of you who are followers of Christ, to take communion. And so that'll be here in just a moment. For those of you who aren't joining us for communion today, I want to say God bless you. Please reach out to us if we can help with any prayer needs or anything else as a church. God loves you. We love you. And we're in this together. So let's share the joy and the love and the grace and the mercy and kindness of Christ with everyone around us this week. And let's see Jesus Christ draw those around us closer to him. God bless you.